Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. When it seemed incomprehensible to laugh again in the aftermath of the 9-11 attacks, entertainers walked a tightrope of appropriate humor in the turbulent days and weeks and years that followed through many onstage trials and tribulations, occasionally leading to career destruction or death threats. They discovered comedy is a vital force that unites and heals no matter what difficult times we find ourselves in. And that is true. That was true then. And it's still comedy still walks a pretty fine line. We're here to talk about a wonderful documentary film called Too Soon, Comedy After 9-11. We're joined today by the co-directors, Nick Scown and Julie Seba. To both of you, welcome to Film School Radio. I'm very much looking forward how to make a film the correct and proper way, as opposed to the way that we did it. <laughs> <laughs> this is so fun. And it's now we have the distance of 20 years hence from the, the tragedy of 9-11, literally almost almost to the day. And I do remember those days. I do remember all the headlines. Comedy is dead. Irony is dead. We're never, you know, this is changes everything forever and ever. And I do remember a couple of people breaking through in terms of saying things that uh, that caused an uproar, but at the same time broke the ice which was so wonderful for me because of my love of comedy and I, how, how important it is for a civilized society to, to have a good sense of humor. I'm curious, I'll start with you, Julie. What inspired you to essentially move forward with this particular project? Why did you think it was important? Um, I would say Nick. I will just say I'm a, I'm a comedy journalist of almost 20 years and this project was Nick's idea and it was so unique and brilliant. And I just immediately gravitated toward it and then basically steamrolled him into letting me participate. Um, <laughs> the original concept, I can obviously let him describe because he was actually in New York immediately after 9-11 and his story and his experiences definitely drew me in for sure. Nick? We were talking before the show. I, this is an idea that I'd had for a very long time. I'm not in the comedy world. I'm just a, a filmmaker and a comedy fan. But, you know, there's there's I get reminders of things of, you know, every anniversary, there's there's a lot of articles and stuff. And I just be like, you know, for, for me, the biggest memory I have from that era was I was in New York looking at film schools, just kind of saw the city in the aftermath. And it was a very different place from the city that I had visited years before and being very depressed and not sure how we were going to get out of this mess. And when I got back from that trip, the uh, the Onion 9-11 issue was waiting for me on the doorstep. It was the first time I like really laughed and that I cried, probably cried, I think, too, while I was reading it. And it was just a very cathartic emotional experience that that helped me at that time. And that always stuck with me. So when I told Julie, I was thinking of doing, you know, a documentary about what happened to comedy after 9-11. I mentioned that story and she had the same exact thing. She had kept that copy of The Onion. So there was something to us about the power of comedy to to help us through these these very bleak dark times. And so that was kind of a message that we we both latched onto and propelled us as we, we started on our five-year journey of making the film. I do remember that issue of The Onion as well. And, you know, there's something about comedy. Uh, prior to that, it was the National Lampoon, right? We have in this country had a tradition. And I always, 
when I think of comedy in the context of kind of history and what its importance is, you know, I go back to the idea of the court jester and the king. Somebody had to tell the king the truth. And the only way you could do it was to cloak it in this idea that it was going to be funny somehow, that that would deliver the message in a way that w- wouldn't get his head chopped off or someone else's head chopped off. And that is so much of the essence of what I consider to be great comedy and why it's important. Julie, you're a journalist. Is that is that something that resonates with you in terms of how we should view comedy or why it's important? Absolutely, for sure. I'm someone who grew up in rural Missouri on a farm. I didn't have cable uh, until I went off to the University of Missouri for college and started seeing Comedy Central. And then David Tell came and did a show my senior year. And this is when Insomniac was at the height of its fame. And, um, you know, there was some alcohol involved after the show. And that sort of set me on my path. I was always interested in writing and helping readers kind of connect with entertainment that moved us in certain ways. And with comedy, I kind of found what I was supposed to be writing about. There's a certain truth and empathy I think you can find in comedy that isn't found in a lot of other art forms, just the immediacy of it when you're sitting in a room with all of these diverse strangers from different backgrounds and beliefs, and you're all laughing at the same thing in the same moment, and then you go back out to your lives. It's always just kind of given me a lot of optimism. So yeah, I think comedy is is definitely vital for helping us kind of process and learn in, in a lot of ways and, and just kind of, uh, yeah, build our empathy from the basis of what a joke is kind of outward and just kind of unite. And in this case, uh, 9-11 and other tragedies and difficulties we face also heal in the process. To kind of, to your point about the the, the court jester in the film, Asif Manvi points out that was what Jon Stewart said the role of The Daily Show was in many ways, was, was that someone has to make fun of these people in charge who at the time, especially in the wake of the attacks, there was kind of just a kowtowing by the media to whatever the administration said was true and they wouldn't lie to us and all these things. And so it became the responsibility of shows like The Daily Show and then The Colbert Report to to point out like, no, 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 no this is not true. And we need to bring these people down and realize that they're, there's a hypocrisy happening here that that no one else was really dealing with in the media. Yeah, because Mo, Mo Rocket said it had been more of a mad magazine type before. And this is when we saw the evolution of The Daily Show and these other outlets <laughs> coming into their own, becoming a Peabody award-winning powerhouse. If comedy's not going to address these issues, you know, who else will? Nick, the circumstances surrounding the attack on 9-11, the two planes flying into Tower 1 and Tower 2, World Trade Center, happening in New York City. And for many people, New York is the center of culture, the center of so much finance, and in the world of comedy, I think it'd be L.A. and New York. I think it'd probably be a jump ball in that in that regard. But nonetheless, a very important part of the fabric of, the, of that city. So for that to happen where it did and for those great comedic minds to have time to kind of mull over what can be funny about this, how can we begin to heal is such an important part of the of the telling in this story. It's so much important about how this documentary works. Who was the first of people that you approached in terms of, okay, we're going to do this documentary. I want to hear your voice in this. 
thankfully because of Julie's like comedy uh, journalism background, she she knew a lot of the comics. So one of the first people, actually the very first person we, we spoke to was Todd Barry. And so we got to interview him and talk to him, grew the list from there, slowly gathering names. And for us, like I said, The Onion was a really important thing. So that was kind of one of the first storylines we really started to flush out. And then also uh, Arab and Muslim comics and how they dealt with it uh, was was one of the early stories. So like Dean Obadala was one of the the first people we interviewed in New York. And, you know, kind of to your point, like, you know, New York is this epicenter of comedy. And, you know, Dean was saying, you know, we kind of forget now, but the, the, all the New York comics, they were dealing with the same PTSD and depression. And many of them had watched the towers fall with their own eyes or had run away, or I think it's not in the film, but like Jeff Ross talked about how, you know, Dave Chappelle was, was hanging out at his house because he had power and, you know, not, not everyone did. And, if you think about how they were struggling as much as anyone else, but they found a way to still try and take that and and do something positive with it to to go perform and to try and connect with their audience and try and make them laugh and and break the 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 spell of the depression that was cast over the city at the time. Definitely, we're calling in every favor in the book. And I mean, for me personally, with these connections to Nick with film equipment and editing time, but we also made sure to kind of winnow it down uh, to keep the scope of comedians we interviewed to either number one, either had personally or professionally been affected by the events, or number two, had specific 9 11 material just to, uh, you know, keep a chronology at the forefront or else we would have been talking to comedians still. I mean, this was a five-year labor of love, but it could have been easily 10 or more. Uh, yeah. So we just uh, wanted to, yeah, really focus on the comics who we knew could propel a story forward and had a lot of stuff to say. I'm going to run through a, a list of some of the people you talked to. David Cross, Janine Garofalo, Mark Marin, Matthew Broderick, Asif Monvi, Rob Riggle, Nathan Lane, Gilbert Godfrey, Cedric the Entertainer, Louis Black, Doug Stanhope, and, and many more, and Russell Peters. And I thought at the very beginning, I thought one of the best jokes, and this is the thing about sort of dealing with what happened in 9-11 and moving forward is it has to be funny. At the end of the day, it has to land, right? And that joke and from the that joke from the big sick is really funny. And I don't want to give away, but that's just a great line in that. Who is the the actor who uh Kumail Nanjiani. Yeah, just a we, great part. We, uh, at, towards the end of all the interviews we did, uh, one of the final questions would be, what is your favorite 9-11 joke? And that was the second most quoted. The first being uh, <laughs> Louis C.K. Uh, and there were definitely different responses uh, before and after the knowledge of his past uh, indiscretions came out before it was always oh yeah this joke is definitely my favorite and then afterwards it was kind of more is it okay if i say this joke has anyone else said this joke <laughs> so we can yeah. attribute it to them yeah. instead of but but kumail definitely was was number two for sure oh it's yeah. a great and, joke. and yeah and i think um i think al jean who's the simpsons showrunner who's in the film says essentially if people laugh it's not too soon if people don't laugh, you could get fired. But if people laugh, then it's just right. And so, yeah, it's that's the kind of like you were saying in the intro, like that that's the kind of tightrope comics walk is you're testing material and you're testing boundaries and you don't know 
until until you it comes out of your mouth and the audience either laughs or groans you know you don't or or is just dead silent you don't know what's gonna you know what's gonna happen cedric said it too it's like until you try no one knows where the line is you don't know the line that is attributed to a, a stand-up but more mostly known for his work as a kind of commentator host of real time what bill maher said on politically incorrect is actually true it was inappropriate for maybe possibly but what he said was in my opinion and it's said in the film which he got fired for he got fired for saying something along the lines of bravery regarding the people who were involved in 9-11 and i'm not going to try to repeat the line because i'll butcher it but but nonetheless Wait, go ahead he said yeah i mean he, he essentially said you know that that america is the cowards who, because we are just sending missiles from thousands of miles away. Say what you will about the terrorists, but they're not—they're not cowards, right? Yeah, staying in a plane when it crashes into it a crashes building for your beliefs is not yeah. an act of cowardice. And that—and by the way, that reference was to uh, Bill Clinton sending some a missile strike into uh, a country in Africa where they blew up the the only factory that produced pharmaceuticals medical pharmaceuticals for hundreds and hundreds of miles and hundreds of people, thousands of people died as a result of not having those medications available to them. And this was over, you know, we just, that's what I remember that particular incident to be about. Just wanted to put that in some sort of reference. Ain't the first time we've Yeah, it wouldn't have been, and it won't be the last. I want to come back to this because it's a thoroughly enjoyable documentary film, Too Soon, Comedy After 9-11. And it's and those streaming on uh, uh, Vice. So right. if you look up Too Soon on Vice, uh, you'll be able to, to stream the film there. You can also go to TooSoonDoc.com and that'll Yeah, work. you can go there and you can, it'll, there'll be a little watch button and it'll take you right there. Right, so. right. Uh, in terms of sort of reaction to the film, is this Beyond Dances with Films? Uh, have you screened this to small groups, large groups, other film festivals? I'd be very curious about the sort of the reaction that you've gotten. No, go ahead, Nick. Just because of the pandemic, we did not do a necessarily like a real uh, festival run where we would get to go and and experience the film with people. So a lot of it was we would kind of send rough cuts to filmmakers who we trusted and wanted their opinions on. And I think one of the interesting things, given where we're at right now with the with COVID, was that you know a, a friend said I wasn't in the mood to watch a movie about 9/11. When you sent this to me, but I'm actually really glad I watched it because it reminded me of, yes, things can get really dark and it seems like it, we're in an impossible situation, but we do find a way out of it. And so it's it's been and some of the reviews we've been getting now, um, you know, from places I don't think we ever necessarily expected, like uh, the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal. And, and they're all kind of having the same thing of that. It's a very cathartic film and like surprisingly cathartic I think somebody said so it, it's been uh, good that we've been able to make something that we really do want to be something that if we didn't want to make another uh, documentary that uh, people couldn't watch because it would give them PTSD we wanted to really make something that would uh, remind people of the dark times but also of the light at the end of the tunnel yeah there's a lot of parallels uh between 20 years ago and today and not just of comedy clubs having been closed and the uncertainty but also yeah the idea that we're all going to be drawn to comedy in these times that's a very universal 
timeless story. There's mention in the film about Holocaust jokes, and obviously there's been jokes about the JFK assassination and Pearl Harbor. And, you know, this is just the lens through which we're exploring how comedy can help us process and heal through all of this. You know, it's a, it's a film about, you know, it's recent American history, it's comedy philosophy, it's social psychology. Um, it, it just works, we hope, on a lot of levels. And it does seem that people are, are understanding that and embracing it for sure. Right. And it's funny. And it, again, you're reminded of the 9-11 tragedy in a way, it frames it in such a way that's appropriate and you have an understanding because there are a lot of people, I just talked to uh, the director of No No Responders Left Behind and they had a PA who was like 24. It was like, what, 9-11? What what, is that? What, you know, it's almost like Pearl Harbor to someone, right? And so I think that's, it's important for people to be reminded and we can't assume that everybody knows everything that we, we know. So I think that's an important part of the film. And, and, and then you move into all the people who are grappling with what now, and then, but through it all, there's a sense, a great sense of, we're going to get on the other side of this. And it's funny. The last thing that I would like to talk about is some of the people who really took the brunt of it. You know, this is back in the Bill O'Reilly days and early Fox News. Janine certainly took a serious amount of incoming. I've, I've, I love her. I think she's just awesome. And I was so glad to, for you guys to give her an opportunity to kind of recount her story and for her to have the last word on, on it. And I'm, I'm just thrilled to see her, period. So, yeah, I mean, she's, uh, we're, uh, I mean, we're grateful that she, she took the time to sit down and talk to us because at least now, I, uh, maybe with, with the withdrawal from Afghanistan, maybe for younger people, like you're saying, who don't know, there's maybe more discussion of now of like, okay, yeah, uh, this, this withdrawal is not good, but why did we go there in the first place? And hopefully we can learn lessons from that. I mean, the, the crazy thing for us with Janine's story is we would find these these archival clips of her at like the the protest march against about at, like let's like there were people there was a lot millions of people in America and around the world who were saying this is a bad idea and we should not do this and right. she was one of them and she uh, you know she she laid out an argument she's like this is if we do this this is what's going to happen it's going to destabilize the area it's like and she just went beat by beat by beat and everything she said was true and everything she said she got attacked for for years and you know was getting death threats and just became a target for for conservative radio and television and for again kind of like what we were saying before for just say for telling the truth for telling the truth she got attacked and i i don't know i i hope she's you know vindication i don't know vindication or something but she she was on she was spot on and it's it's sad that she had to to take uh so many hits for for having for having the right opinion at the time that we should have listened to as Marin said no one deserves that uh, kind of blowback, whether you're a comedian or not, but particularly, you know, because she was a woman. Yeah. And and so, you know, just personally, I've always been a massive, massive fan of her and even more so now after having spoken with her, just like her strength and resilience. Um, yeah, it's very inspiring for sure. And yeah. The thing I remember about that period is she did not back down. She didn't, she Absolutely. didn't go, she didn't crawl into a hole. She stood up. And I just think the world of her, and it does seem like I'm as an outsider kind of looking in, it did seem like her career just sort of got blown up. And I, I, I stopped seeing her and things. I don't know if she did much stand up over a period of time. It just seemed like what happened to Jean Garofalo. And 
I felt like the residue of all of what happened to her and the attacks by Fox and all these idiots, Rush Limbaugh, was that it made her radioactive for a long time. Then she didn't yeah. deserve it. Yeah, I mean, uh, Scott I mean, Scott Thompson had a similar story, too. Oh, yeah. Was, no, yeah, absolutely. I'm sorry. Scott, please talk about Scott yeah. Thompson. I mean, not a similar story in that he was attacked, per se, but he felt his career was definitely derailed after trying to mount a one-man show about terrorism, which was reacting to his own experiences of, uh, you know, after him and his boyfriend at the time made us a film about Saddam Hussein in 2000, kind of likening him and his family to the Kardashians, uh, you know, their home in West Hollywood was firebombed and they had a threatening letter that said, destroy this film or you'll be killed. So he was trying to mount a one man show dealing with this trauma in response to it. That was supposed to launch at the Bleecker Street Theater on September 19th and posters went up all over the city on the 10th. And he thought, oh, the next day, tomorrow, they're all going to wake up talking about this. Not the case. And as he said, uh, he feels like his career has never rebounded. Yeah, like for Scott was affected. And yeah, I think you're right about Janine where she was not afraid. I mean, if you think about it, she would go, she would go on Fox News. She wouldn't, she would yeah. go into the into the into the lion's den to, to try and battle them head on. And her career, I mean, I think you could say you could probably look at her career and the what she work she was doing before all that and after that, and you can see something happened. And there's probably not a real blacklist in Hollywood, but the, but there is they're probably like, oh, is this worth the trouble? And they decided that, oh, this isn't worth she's got too many people on the other side who were. I mean, she's literally getting protests at her stand-up shows who what's going to happen if she's starring in our movie, you know? Right, right. Yeah, and this was a time, you know, before social media and, you know, quote unquote, cancel culture as we know it. And it was coming from the right. So it, it's definitely an interesting juxtaposition of what we see today. And this is the thing about comedy and comedians and the risk that they take, not only as artists to put themselves out there to make these observations and try to try to make us laugh. But so many of it, it's such a difficult life, difficult to make you know a living doing it and to break through to a certain level where you can begin to do more things that you want to do is very, very difficult. And in my mind, history is littered with all of these people who are incredibly talented and insightful and funny and just they just disappeared into the ether. And never really got their moment in the sun. And you know, I know Scott Thompson was, we know him from Kids in the Hall and some other things, but there, this was going to be his break. This was going to be something that he could hang his hat on. And so. Well, there's another comic, um, Aaron Cater, who's uh, who's part of the Axis of Evil uh, kind right. of crew. And, and he was saying, you know, it's hard enough to have any kind of career in comedy, right? <laughs> let alone to have a challenge where now, oh, I'm a, a Muslim performer uh, and I got to talk about this on stage or we're getting we're getting bomb threats at our club that we're going to perform at. It is. I mean, it's already a, such a challenging field. I mean, it is like kind of Julie said, it's just one guy. It's one person on stage trying to to make people laugh like there's no one of the bookers at the comedy seller. She she says, you know, it's not Broadway. There's no script. You can't retake anything. It's not like, oh, well, let's just take that over. It's like, no, no, no. It's live and it's happening. And, you know, that's challenging enough by itself. Uh, let alone when you top, you know, put all these other elements and challenges on top of it, like like comics we're dealing with after 9-11. Yeah. And when you think of the the greatest stand-ups, in my opinion, Richard Pryor, Dave Chappelle, Jerry Seinfeld certainly has to be in that list, but Bill Hicks, thank you. You George Carlin. Yes, Bill Hicks. 
again, there's a guy who on by himself managed to blow up his career. But 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 yeah, George Carlin, you go back and these people are so brave. And at the end of the day, what you come away from is not just having a laugh, but having something else added to your perspective, something to your life that you wouldn't have gotten anywhere else. And I my I just absolutely think the world of these people. So, yeah, yeah. to well, me, you, you, it's okay. to me, it's like the best comedy is. Yeah. Laughter is the immediate reaction. But the best is the kind that makes you go home and think. And even a comic like you're saying, like um, like Jerry Seinfeld. Uh, who's who's not a political comic or anything by any means, but he, what he does is he says something that maybe you've thought, but never put words to, or he, his observational humor, he's, he's pointing out something that you're like, Oh, that is true. You know, and it's, it makes you feel like you're not alone in your perspective of the world that if this person has that perspective and everyone else around me is laughing, like, Oh, we're all in this together. We all have that same experience and you're, you're not alone. Right. What's the deal with 9-11? <laughs> exactly. Well, that's the thing. When I think of Seinfeld, I think of, in terms of stand-ups, probably the purest comedy in terms of just distilled everything down to what's funny. I think he's probably the the greatest in terms of just, you don't have to have a political perspective or a social person. You don't have to have any other perspective except that he makes something funny. I And somebody said he's he's like, he cannot be funny. And I just I just think of him in a, in, a, in a different than a Pryor or a Carlin or or a Chris Rock or Eddie Murphy yeah. or others. He's, he's very he's very different. Anyway, I'm going to also throw Mitch Hedberg on that list. Just Do you? Personally. OK. Yeah. OK. Yeah. He's really? someone who, who young comics might not know these days. But again, he his stuff was timeless, universal. You can still listen to it today. He's unfortunately passed, but he will make you see the world through different lenses. I'm going to go back and revisit. I do have one of his CD, I think his first CD. And I listened to to it once and then I just sort of blew by it. I didn't really listen to it. So thank you for that. I'm going to go back and check it out because- Julie Julie actually did a a show about uh, him called Hope on Top, which, so if if you want more more Mitch Hedberg, it's it's great. And you get lots of good clips and then also like kind of his story. Thank you. It's available on the SiriusXM app. Okay, very good. All right. Well, thank uh, thank you both. Thank you so much for, for, for all your time here today, as well as this wonderful film, Too Soon Comedy After 9-11. We've been talking with the co-directors of the film. That would be Nick, Nick Scon and Julie Sebaugh. So to both of you, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for, thanks thank for, for having, having us. Yeah. Thank You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio. Film School Radio.